in Boston, totally different to where he is now. A couple teams later, now he's here in Chicago. I never thought when that question was going to be asked to him, like, whose team this is, and he just was like, it's the OGs. It's Jimmy B. It's the future. Down and distance. We're back down the distance right here, WGNRadio.com, WGN Radio in affiliation with the arena. Coming soon. You know, we've been talking so much football, college football. They gave us a great first two weeks. NFL gave us a great first week. We talked Chicago Bears. And right around the corner, the United Center is about to be lit. The Blackhawks start their preseason and the other inhabitant. They're going to be having their media day in about a week. And I'm very interested in seeing one or two things. There are some myths about this Bulls team that I want to get into and talk about. And then also, I want to come to understand the NBA as this season starts. Because all of this started from four guys that are NBA players standing up at the ESPYs, making a statement. And we've seen the snowball as it goes downhill pick up steam and get even bigger with Colin Kaepernick and the rest of the NFL players that have chosen to make a stance the way they've done so. So I want to bring on Brian Crawford. You can follow him right now on Twitter at MrCraw4D. He writes for everybody. Hoop Magazine, Slam Magazine. Everybody. Covers the Chicago Bulls. BC, welcome into Down the Distance. What's going on, man? So let's get right into this, man. Next week, the Bulls Media Day is coming up. What's the one thing that you want to get or the one player you really want to talk to from that media day? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I would probably really want to talk to Rondo. You know, if he talks, we know he kind of has like a, not even a love-hate relationship. He just don't like the media at all. But, um, I mean, I would like to talk to him just to kind of figure out, you know, his perception of the team. You know, the point guard is always the coach on the floor. And, you know, we know the coach on the sidelines, he doesn't have the same mentality as a lot of his players on the floor, Rondo in particular. So, you know, I would like to talk to him about, you know, how he plans on directing traffic, how he plans on running the team, you know, how he even plans on listening to Hoiberg. Because, you know, the last, what, three coaches he had, he's pretty much driven them crazy. So, you know, that dynamic is always in play. But at the same time, you know, this is a point guard who is, definitely capable of making plays for others in terms of, you know, getting assists and thinking that the league in assists last year. Um, you know, he's also capable at his size of rebounding. And, you know, even though he had the ACL injury, he's still a pretty good defender too. And he has quick hands in terms of being able to get in the passing lanes and get steals. So as far as his value on the court, we already know what he can bring. But, you know, offensively, I would like to kind of, you know, talk to him and kind of pick his brain about, how he plans on running the show and, you know, running Fred Hoiberg's offense to get guys like Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade, you know, in rhythm so they can score. We have two young leaders as the face of the franchise and as your head coach, Hoiberg, Jimmy Butler. Now, some people might say the non-combative tendencies of Fred Hoiberg kind of plays into a better relationship with one Rajon Rondo. But we've seen Rajon Rondo get into it with Paul Pierce, who was the face of that Celtics franchise, but he was a veteran. So it kind of was held together a little bit better. And then you had Doc's presence on the bench. With Jimmy Butler being a young leader, 
once the ball goes out and it's rolled out on the floor and the ball is tipped and the season gets going, I mean, Rajon Rondo and the way he is and the way he thinks and the way he sees the game, unlike everybody else on his team, is that going to be something that could possibly end up in friction with a young leader and face of the franchise like Jimmy Butler? At some point, Rajon Rondo is going to clash with everybody. You know, at some point, he's going to rub everybody in that locker room the wrong way. How they respond to that will basically be the story of the season. You know, Rondo is just like Dwayne Wade. He don't have nothing to prove to nobody he walking in that locker room with because both of them got championship rings. So, you know, in that respect, he commands a little bit more, you know, more respect from his teammates, you know, in terms of being able to listen to, you know, what he has to say. But we also know he's very petulant. Um, we also know he's got a real slick mouth. Um, you know, you said he got into it with Doc. He got into it with Paul Pierce. He got into it with KG. Him and Ray Allen can't stand each other. You know, that's just that's just Rajon Rondo. So you already know how his mentality and his personality is coming in if you're those other guys in that locker room. So you need to kind of prepare yourself mentally for what's coming because it's, it's, it's definitely going to come. It's, you know, it's not a matter of if but when. And how they respond to that, you know, how they respond to – you know, his outbursts and, you know, his petulance will tell a lot about that team as a whole. Fellas, man, it's only man. in the NBA that somebody can be that big of a jerk mm-hmm. in NBA circles but still be respected for what he can do and the value he has on the court. Yeah, but you know what? You kind of knew – you kind of already knew this, though. BC, it's funny to me that – He sounds like the basketball version of Jay Cutler, man. No, he sounds, no. More, no, he sm- sounds more like the – more like B. Marsh, mm. you know, a guy that's got that's, much that's got talent, that's got so much talent. But then you hear from the outside that it's always an issue in the locker room, everywhere he goes, everywhere he goes. Yeah. But he's a guy that you would like to have. BC, listen, he's at a different point, right, in his life and in his career, where we talk about where he was. When he, in Boston, totally different to where he is now. A couple teams later, now he's here in Chicago. I never thought when that question was going to be asked to him, like whose team this is, and he just was like, "It's the OGs, it's Jimmy B's." <laughs> I, 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 did, I didn't think. I mean, could you imagine him saying that six years ago? Right. You know, here's the here's the bad part about Rondo, man. You know, in terms of just coming to the Bulls. You know, this is this is the place where a lot of point guards come to die. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you look at all of the point guards that we've had here. Um, you know, Derrick Rose, he had a great career, and obviously he ended up getting run out of town. You look at John Lucas third. You look at um, a guy like Nate Robinson. You know, they've brought in a bunch of guards, and for a lot of those guys, this has been their last stop. Um, that could definitely be the case for Rondo simply because, you know, you hear the narratives about, how the league is changing and, you know, and every team wants a guard that can shoot the outside shot. And, you know, coming out of Sacramento, nobody really wanted Rajon Rondo, you know, except the Bulls. I think he may have had one or two other interviews last summer. But, you know, so this might be the last run for him. So, you know, and looking at looking at it that way, he's definitely going to have to be on his best behavior, you know, if he wants to get another job. You know, because regardless of the fact that what he brings to the court and how smart he is and how good of a point guard he is, he has those limitations offensively that make him, you know, kind of almost an undesirable kind of player in the NBA, you know, in a starting role, especially, you know, maybe he could kind of reform his career, 
you know, after this point and maybe be a solid bench guy. But, you know, this might be the last stop for him. And I think that's something he has to think about as well and take into consideration in, in, in terms of how he carries himself this season. One of the myths, and I guess you can probably get more information on this from the players at media day, but I'm really, I'm really mindful of this word concerning this team and that's spacing. Is that going to be a problem? Will this team be able to space the floor? I definitely think this team will be able to get to the free throw line. I definitely think they would defend better than last year's team. But as far as the offensive production and efficiency, how is that going to play out with these three players that basically all need the ball at some point? I mean, the Bulls haven't done anything to bring in shooters that will actually space the floor. So, you know, that being the reality, I don't think anybody should go into this season expecting that, you know, Jimmy Butler is probably going to shoot a high percentage from three consistently. Uh, we definitely know Rondo is not going to do it. Dwayne Wade just doesn't. You know, he's a mid-range player strictly. And you got Doug McDermott and uh, Meritage. So, if Fred Hoiberg wants to have an offense where the three is a primary focus, you know, they haven't built this team in that way. They definitely will get to the free throw line. Um, you know, Dwayne Wade is a master at that. And, you know, with him operating in the mid-range, uh, you know, that means that's going to have to put Jimmy Butler on the other side of the floor a lot of times. So the the floor balance probably won't be there. You know, you, you might see a lot of imbalance on the floor actually – but the flip side of that is that, you know, you got three guys on the perimeter who could pretty much work on their own and either get to the basket or make plays for other people. So, you know, we heard coming in that Hoiberg was, you know, a smart offensive guy, but he still hasn't been given the pieces to kind of run the offense the way that he wants to run it. So we'll be able to see how creative he is playing with guys who, you know, whose game does not revolve around the perimeter shot, whose game revolves around getting to the basket. Um, being aggressive and how he could, you know, incorporate those three into what he's trying to do and still try to, you know, get shots from McDermott on the perimeter and Nico on the perimeter. You know, you got Bobby Portis who can step out and hit one every now and then. But, you know, shooting from beyond the arc isn't what this team is going to do a whole lot of next season. And if they do, they won't be very good at it. they probably be at the bottom of the league there. BC, man, I, I want to see this. I got to see how this all works out. You know what? Looking it, it, from it, it, it might, from a business I, standpoint, I'm not this might be some mad genius. I, and I'm, I, I, I don't do. want to say this because of the people that, that are in the front office, but you look at the construction of this team, right? Jimmy Butler, his, his max deal, very, very good max deal and very tradable okay. moving forward, I right? You, yes. Based upon, you know, max deals that are going out now. Uh, Miritich, I believe, and Tony Snell will be restricted free agents next year, right, next summer. And you basically have Rondo and Wade on one-year deals mm-hmm. because of the options. So even after this season, if it doesn't go right, this whole thing can still be blown up. I get and you. moves can be made. So I'm just more thinking on the court, man. It just makes – That's it, what makes it, the it, dynamic of what's been put together. You know going in, okay, this is like some type of experiment, and if it doesn't work, it's probably going to be blown up. BC, I mean, right? I mean, this is going to be Fred Hoiberg's – this is going to be – I mean, this is a test. I mean, this is – as a head coach and what your job description is, is to be able to figure out how a guy like Jimmy Butler likes to have the basketball, Rondo, you know, all these guys of these moving pieces and putting this together and putting this puzzle together, um, if he can make this work – 
is it time to 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 maybe get off his back a little bit? Because I hear a lot of people just walking around and having conversations with him when we talk about the Bulls. I mean, with all these guys, Rondo, Wade, Butler, Fred Hoiberg's name comes up most of the time first, BC, and it's always about is this guy the right guy for the job? I mean, the Bulls don't have a long-term plan. I mean, let's just be honest about that. You know, they're doing everything kind of, you know, more or less on a season-by-season basis now. So everything that's going on within that franchise in terms of personnel and coaching is is a fluid situation. You know, anything could change. And, you know, we saw that with the constant shopping of Jimmy on draft night, um, you know, and the bringing in rentals and Wade and Rondo. So they don't have a long-term plan. They don't even have a core. You know, you got to have a core to have a long-term plan. So really and truly, they just got a bunch of pieces. Um, they got a bunch of guys who can play basketball. But what they're trying to do in terms of building a team that can compete on a you know on a consistent basis year by year, they don't have that anymore. You know, they don't have those guys that they can build around. They don't have those young pieces that have enough talent that could, you know, carry a team or, you know, win a game. So, you know, in in terms of the genius part of it, they did assemble a roster that's going to keep people interested in, in watching this team, you know, in terms of having Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo and Jimmy Butler all on the court at the same time. So in that respect, it was very smart because, you know, they still going to sell tickets. They still going to be on TV a lot. They still going to draw a lot of interest, you know, just, just from people trying to figure out what these Bulls are going to do. So in that aspect, yeah, it was it was, it was smart, but long term, I have no idea what they're doing. I don't think they do either. Send the duffel bags to Adam Silver. That's what they need to do <laughs> for the next lottery. That's what they need to do. Get that duffel bag I mean, game up the Gucci, car. Let me get everybody get them Gucci bags. Yes, bro. sir. You know, what I'm but, you know, I I don't you know I don't know if this is a you know if this is one of those lottery type teams. You know, I think they could probably maybe beat us anywhere from six through eight, um, you know, in the playoffs. I think they can definitely make the postseason as long as nobody gets hurt for too long. But, I mean, in terms of they're not going to be able to build around the draft. They certainly don't have any real assets that they can trade. So, man, it's anybody's guess of what happens from here. We, Like I said, we just have to take this on a season-by-season basis until we see them assemble – two or three guys that we know that are young enough to build around that can carry the team going forward. Down the distance, Brian Crawford, Slam Magazine, following Mr. Crawford D on Twitter. Now that I think about it, as we get ready to segue into our next topic, you know, we talked to BC right before he came on, and he said he was kind of low-key. And uh, based upon what's been going on and knowing my brother, it's probably a good thing that he's low-key <laughs> right now from what I've seen on Twitter and, and everything that's been going on surrounding Colin Kaepernick and we talked about uh, LeBron James, Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony, and Dwayne Wade, what they did at the beginning of the SBs and what they started as far as the avalanche of support and protests going on in all types of different ways. Some people might forget a guy by the name of Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, who, because of his faith, and it was connected to Islam and his Muslim faith, a lot of people had disparaging things to say about him when he protested against the national anthem and in the NBA. And I feel like that situation, definitely, if you knew and watched him when he was at Chris Jackson at LSU, and even when he was with the Denver Nuggets, you knew he had game. 
and somehow, some way, I believe it kind of blackballed them out of the league and out of professional basketball. So moving forward, as things have evolved in society and as a society, we've evolved supposedly. How do you see this season playing out in the NBA? Do you think you will continue to see all types of protests by NBA players? And who who takes the lead? Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it, for me, this is more or less like a two-edged sword. You know, we we saw LeBron, we saw D-Wade, we saw Chris Paul stand up and make that speech at the ESPYs, and then two or three days later, nobody cared. Mm. Um, you know, we saw last season or, uh, you know, guys or the season before guys coming out wearing the I Can't Breathe t-shirts. Um, you know, it was half about a week. Nobody cared after that. The reason, the difference between a basketball player and a guy, you know, in the NFL and Colin Kaepernick stepping up is obviously we still see the length of the conversation going. You know, this is going on almost a month now with Colin Kaepernick that we're still talking about this. And, you know, every you know every week, you know, you see somebody else come up with a new opinion about what Colin Kaepernick is saying. And the reason why that conversation is still going is because, you know, when you look at the NBA, the NBA is, you know, it's a it's a very niche league, you know, in terms of, you know, who likes basketball, you know, who likes these players. Um, whereas football is more or less, you know, America's game, you know, and, you know, just to put in a racial aspect of it, black people watch basketball, a lot of white people, you know, like and enjoy football. And so that's why this Colin Kaepernick conversation has carried on because of, the demographic fan base audience, yeah. of the NFL and the audience, you know, of the NFL compared to the NBA. And um, a much so younger I mean, demographic in the NBA as well. Most definitely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and the NBA is also a more progressive, you know, and inclusive league, you know, whereas the NFL is, 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 is kind of like baseball, you know, football is what it is. It's got its own set of, you know, unwritten rules and, you know, people feel a certain way about it. Whereas, you know, and it doesn't change a lot, whereas basketball is always tweaking this and that um, and actually, you know, setting a standard for professional sports that we don't see other leagues do. So that's why, you know, you mentioned that younger. That's why uh, the NBA appeals to younger fans of, you know, of a lot of different races and backgrounds because of that. Um, So, you know, in terms of what will happen this season, you know, it really depends on what, on what's going on out in the street. You do know you, what I'm saying? Do, like you, it, do you get the sense that Adam Silver, because they are progressive as a league and have had the back of players and their stances the majority of the time, I think that, that you can point at Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf and have your own personal opinions about whether or not he was blackballed out the league because of his stance years ago in the 90s when the league might have not been as open, but the league seems to evolve with society even more than baseball and then football, as you said before. So is Adam Adam Silver and his consultants and his executives sitting there in the offices in New York saying, okay, we know something's going to happen. How are we going to respond to this? Because you saw the harsh stance they took with Carolina and Charlotte as far as, you know, hosting the all-star game and snatching that away from them based upon what happened there with the legislation and looking at this and looking at the NFL and how the NFL has kind of just been hands off and say, you know what, we don't have a rule against it. So it's really nothing for us to say. 
you know, is Adam Silver really thinking about this and saying, man, this is how we're going to approach this? Or are they just standing back saying, let's see what happens and then we'll go from there? No, I think I think Adam Silver and the NBA, I think they understand, you know, who their base is. You know, I think they understand who their audience is. And so they, I mean, if you notice, like the things that the NBA have has done, you know, they've taken hard stances on things that other leagues haven't even, you know, won't even blink at. You know, I mean, you still got a team in the NFL called the Redskins, and they've been trying to get that changed forever. You know, you still got a, a team in Cleveland in Major League Baseball called the Indians, um, and people also find that to be offensive. And, you know, Major League Baseball hasn't lifted a finger to change anything about that either. Even for that but, matter, you have the Carolina Panthers that were right there, and I didn't. Jerry Richardson didn't stand up and stick up for diversity and all the things that were being done wrong by the legislation in Carolina. Right. You know, so the NBA actually, I mean, if you think about it, the NBA is, is to the point where they can actually position themselves better socially by taking a stance, you know, a hard stance on these issues and sticking with it, you know, pulling, pulling an all-star game out of North Carolina and Charlotte was a huge deal. You know, it's a very big deal. And then um, I don't know if y'all saw it, but the NCAA, uh, the NCAA also followed suit, suit too. I think they pulled some of their basketball tournaments out of uh, North Carolina. Yeah. So, you know, the NBA is blazing the trail in terms of being the one professional league who understands, you know, social justice, you know, who understands, um, you know, being able to appeal to people who who want fairness and you know equality for all people, and you know the NBA embraces that, and so, like I said, that's what I mean when I say that they understand their audience. As long as they take those take those stances, the popularity of the game won't go anywhere. I mean, you know, I know you mentioned my mood Abdul Raouf. He was he was ahead of his time in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, in terms of being a basketball player and also just you know embracing Islam at a time where not a whole lot of people knew about it. You a lot know of what people I'm saying? call him Steph Curry before Steph Curry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, he, you know, to say he got blacked out, black ball out of the league, yeah, that probably happened. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, he made it easier, you know, like Allen Iverson said, you know, everything he did, he took the butt whooping for it so other people behind him could come and be themselves. And Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf did the same thing. You know, he was he was one of the first professional athletes, you know, to publicly take a stance like that against the flag. And you saw the backlash. He took the same things that, you know, that they said to Colin Kaepernick today is the same thing they said to Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf back when he took a stand. Um, but now I think we've gotten to the point where you can't ignore a lot of these things. And, you know, these athletes – Aren't you, you're starting to see now that these athletes aren't just robots who only care about the game. You know, these athletes are people who are socially conscious, who are aware, and who understand that they have a platform and the power and the voice to speak out. And if not to, you know, create change individually, but to create more conversation, more importantly, and bigger than that, is to show you who people really are. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, if... If you're an individual with, a, you know, and you're talking head on TV and you basically have a problem with Kaepernick doing what he's doing, then that means you have a problem with social justice. That means you're totally comfortable with things being the way that they are and you don't understand why anybody would want to rock the boat or ruffle any feathers. 
So now that you've exposed yourself in that way, we know who you are. We know who you stand for, and we know how you know what you stand for, and we know how to handle you accordingly. So I think these are some of the things that are coming out through these social issues with these guys taking these stances and, you know, you know, using their voice and speaking out. And the public reaction to it is forcing people to show themselves. So I think, you know, not only are they talking about what's going on and, you know, raising awareness to that, but they're also telling you, you know, they're also showing you, you know, who's who. And I think that's that's bigger than anything else. BC, before we let you go, I know this weekend, uh, Friday night, I was sitting and I was uh, watching an event, uh, the induction of the 2016 NBA, not NBA, but Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, ten inductees highlighted by Shaquille O'Neal, Allen Iverson, Yao Ming, and Jerry Reinsdorf, as well as Cheryl Swoops and Tom Izzo. Um, both of the speeches by Allen Iverson and Shaquille O'Neal had a heavy cultural theme. I'll just leave it at that. And it left me, you know, I've watched other inductions, other great players that I loved, loved their speeches, but there was something, it touched me differently this time listening to those two guys and watching them be inducted. So from your standpoint, because I know the love that you definitely have for Shaq and AI, especially AI, what did Friday night mean for the NBA and the culture? Because it just seemed like it was something totally different, even on social media. Um, Well, I have to be honest. The only thing that I really saw was I saw uh, part of Ryan's door speech I still haven't seen Shaq's speech, but I made it a point to uh, watch Allen Iverson's speech the next day. So, you know, I can speak to that. The, the Obviously, you know, just to touch on Shaq, most dominant big man ever, uh, one of the most charismatic uh, people that we've ever seen publicly, uh, who's a hell of a basketball player and who, you know, won four championships. Uh, so, you know, that legacy there is set in stone. But Allen Iverson... His speech touched me, you know, in a lot of ways. But I think the thing that I took from his speech and what he said was that, and what I just thought was just brilliant and what I've never seen anybody do when they've been inducted before, is he basically took a whole bunch of people with him into that Hall of Fame. You know what I'm saying? And and it was, his, his point was, if you ride with me, you know, and if you roll with me all these years through these ups and these downs, then you know what? You're a Hall of Famer, too. And I thought that was probably the most special speech that I've ever seen because we know the type of beating that Allen Iverson took physically on the court. We know what type of beating Allen Iverson has taken the past, you know, few years with these, you know, with these guys coming out with these numbers and basically trying to devalue his accomplishments and everything that he did on the basketball court. At his size, you know, they want to say he's inefficient. He had a lot of turnovers, this, that, and the other. Um, and Allen Iverson knew all of that. You know what I'm saying? He knew that these people was out here bashing him. So he appreciated all of those people, friends, family, whether he knew you or not. He appreciated all of, you know, appreciated all of those people that rode with him and supported him through those years. So, I, you know, I thought his speech came from a real, real heartfelt place. It came from a place of, you know, somebody knowing that, they had multiple chances in life, you know, somebody knowing that they, you know, that their life, life, life could have easily gone the wrong way. And, you know, he would have been a whatever happened to type of story. So as far as the culture, man, it was just, like I said, I hadn't seen Shaq yet, but 
AI, man, it was just unapologetically black. And I think I appreciated that more than anything because, you know, if we are athletes and, you know, and we all from those similar situations that he came from, that Allen Iverson is a part of all of us. And that, to me, probably was the most special thing about that. Is he's just a regular, average-sized dude who made it to the top of the basketball world and is probably behind Michael Jordan. And this could even be debated, too. He might be the biggest influential presence, not just in the NBA, but in the game of basketball, period. And I don't think anybody else can say that. Ryan Crawford, Slam Magazine, Hoop Magazine, NBA writer, and covers the Chicago Bulls. Follow him right now at Mr. Crawford. Mr. Crawford 4D on Twitter. Thanks for joining us today on Down and Distance. We'll talk to you during the season, my friend. Yes, sir. All right. All right.